Hey, everybody, I'm Pastor Steve Hogg at First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. Excited you've joined us for this telecast, continuing our teaching series on destiny. I want you to listen because I know God's going to talk to you today. You may be opening your Bible to the book of First Thessalonians. We'll come to that in just a few moments, First Thessalonians. We've been talking these past couple of weeks about destiny, and today I want to talk about the eternal destiny of every human being. I'd like to begin by asking you a question. Will most people go to heaven, or will most people be condemned to hell? And I ask a second question. Do all religions lead to heaven? Are there many paths to heaven? Or is Jesus the only way to heaven? Some of you are aware that earlier this week, that question, so to speak, became a controversy in Congress. President Trump had uh, nominated Russell Voigt to uh, be the direct, uh, deputy director of the uh, White House's Office of Management and Budget. And he was in his hearing before the Senate committee, which had to approve him. And Senator Bernie Sanders, who also ran for the Democratic nomination for president, brought with him an article that uh, this man had written last year. Now, Robert, he's a Christian. And last year there was a controversy at Wheaton College, leading Christian university in the country, because one of the professors had said that Muslims worship the same God as Christians. And so there was some controversy on campus, and eventually that professor in the University of the College party company and um, this uh, this man, Russell Voigt, would, was, uh, had, had written an, an article defending the college. And in that article, he, uh, he said that Muslims do not know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. He was making a theological statement. Well, Bernie Sanders brings this article to the congressional hearing, and he begins questioning Russell Voigt, and he accused him of being Islamophobic. And then almost raising his voice in a shout, he said, there are people of different religions in this country. Do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? And at the end of his time of questioning the candidate, he, uh, he made his summary statement, his conclusion that this nominee, is, now listen, this is important. This nominee is really not someone who this country is supposed to be about. Now, let me just make a couple of statements. One, the Constitution from the very beginning forbids any religious litmus test for holding public office or serving in a public arena in this country. That being a person of faith or not faith, whatever your faith is, the Constitution makes it very clear that has nothing to do with whether or not you're, you are qualified to serve in public office. And so Sanders questioning questions, you know, went outside the norm, so to speak. But when you think about it, what Bernie Sanders was saying is this, that if you believe the traditional Christian teaching that is expounded in the Bible, that Jesus is the only way, the only path to God, you're not qualified to serve in the public arena. What Bernie Sanders was saying 
is unless you accept what is popular in our culture today, the idea that all religions are the same, that all religions lead to God, that we all worship the same God no matter what, so that in the end religion is really just about opinion, not God-revealed truth. Unless you accept that culturally popular philosophy, you're not qualified to serve in the public arena. What Bernie Sanders was saying is even a Muslim. Because most Muslims believe the Quran teaches that if people reject the teachings of Muhammad, they're condemned. So most Christians, historic Christianity, biblical Christianity, Islam, and other religions, they all make a claim to exclusivity. And so what Bernie Sanders was saying in essence is unless you reject all of that, and accept as true the cultural idea today that all religions are the same. It really doesn't matter. You're not fit to serve in the public arena. Now another sermon for another day is the history of religious liberty and what it really means and the fact that he's woefully lacking in a proper understanding of theology, biblical history, religious history, and freedom of religion. That's another sermon for another day. Let's go back to the real question. Are there many paths to God or just one? Will most people be in heaven or stand condemned? Is everybody essentially the same because they're good and they're kind and they're genuine and they're sincere and only the worst of the worst, the most evil among us need to worry about being condemned because everybody else is going to be okay. What is the eternal destiny of every human being? Is Bernie Sanders right or is he wrong? And there's people all over this city and others watching this message on television or live streaming who think because we're good, I'm good, most people are good, it's okay. But what does God say? What does Scripture say about the eternal destiny of every human being? I want us to do some Bible study this morning and address that very issue. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and following. Let's just walk through a few verses here and uh, see if we can understand them and what they teach us. And then we're going to look at some other passages as well. So we're going to do quite a bit of Bible study this morning. Do you have your Bible? Always bring your Bible to church, okay? I'll put some verses on the screen, but not every verse. Always bring your Bible, open it, and let's learn together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> now, Paul has just ended chapter 4 by talking about the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection. And so he picks up with that subject in chapter 5 by saying, Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Saying to those Christians, you don't need me to tell you much more than I've already told you about the second coming and the end of time because you understand it. Verse 2, For you yourselves know full well, you already understand this, I'm just reminding you, that the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is the second coming, it's, it's the end of the age, it's the judgment, it's all of that that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. In other words, it's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected when you're not looking. A thief catches people by surprise. 
And Jesus said that's what the second coming will be like. So please ignore all the people who write books and all the people who preach on television telling you Jesus is coming back at this particular time. Or, or hey, ignore all that. Jesus said it's going to be a total surprise. You have no clue when I'm coming back. So just, you know, people get rich writing that stuff. Ignore all of it. Fair enough? Okay. It's going to be like a thief. Catch you on unaware. Verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, <laughs> everything's okay. I'm secure. Nothing to worry about. Does that sound like most of the people in our world? Then destruction will come upon them. Now that word is only used about five times in the New Testament. The Greek word translated destruction here. It doesn't mean annihilation, cessation of existence. It's the idea of, a, of something being ruined, like a ruined life. Can your character, your, your reputation be destroyed without you ceasing to exist? The picture here is that, is that when that moment comes for one group of people, it's going to be ruined. It's going, going to be catastrophe. It's going to be a, a disaster. He says destruction will come upon them how? What does it say, church? Suddenly. Wow, just there it is. Pow, poof, suddenly. Like labor pains upon a woman with child. Monisa and I have recently gotten into watching Call the Midwife. Any of you watch that British show, Call the Midwife? We like that. So we've, we've been going back on Netflix and watching, you know, the earlier seasons of it. And, you know, there's two or three babies born every episode. And, man, when it hits, it hits. We were watching it last night, Jacqueline, and the kids came up from Hanahan. And we, we were, uh, Monisa and I and Jacqueline, watching a couple episodes last night on Netflix. And, and, um, and Jacqueline said, boy, this reminds me, reminds me of uh, the past. <laughs> it's, it's just all of a sudden you're in labor. And you can't stop it. Once the pain, once the ruin sets in, once, once the pain comes, it's on. And you can't, you, you can't put it off anymore. You, you can't change it. It's, it's coming no matter what. You can't stop it. And he says, and they will not escape at the end of verse 3. And in the Greek, it's a double negative, meaning there's absolutely no way people are going to escape the ruin of that day. Nothing they can do. No, no, no escape. And then he transitions a little bit in verse 4. It says, but you, brethren, talking to believers, followers of Christ, are not in darkness. <clears throat> you know, the, the Scripture uses darkness as a synonym, if you will, or a symbol of sin or a symbol of ignorance or a symbol of lostness and, and, and Satan's domain. He says, you, you don't live in darkness as believers, so that the day, what day? The day of the Lord would overtake you like a thief. When, when Jesus comes back, you may not know the moment he's coming back, but you're not shocked that he comes back because you know he's coming back. The world thinks it's a fantasy, but you know otherwise. Verse 5, For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Talking about believers, followers of Christ. So then, because of that, let us not sleep as others do, but be alert and sober. Oh, nothing to worry about. I'm just going to take a nap. No big deal. Nothing to worry about. No, as a follower of Christ, you're always on the lookout. You're awake. 
You're paying attention. And then he makes an interesting analogy in verse 7. Um, he says, those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Did your mom ever tell you nothing good happens after midnight? He's again talking about the way the world lives, those who don't follow Christ, the approach of, of society and culture. But we, believers, in verse 8, are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, now, here's what he says. God is destined. God, is, God has has set for us. Now, listen. He begins this passage by saying in the beginning that there's a there's a group of people in this culture, a group of people in this world that the, the day of the Lord, the end of time, the second coming of Jesus, for them, it's going to be a traumatic experience. It's going to be a day of pain, a day of ruin. They won't be able to escape it. There's nothing they can do to stop it. It's going to catch them unprepared, and it's going to happen. It's going to be sudden. It'll be like a thief coming into their house. But for us, for believers, he says, we have a different destiny. <laughs> Aren't you glad? He said, God has not destined us to wrath, to all of that pain, to all of that trauma, but to obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are in Christ, we are rescued from all of that. A different outcome, a different destiny. Mentioning Jesus at the end of verse 9 and verse 10, he said, Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. The bottom line is, if something happens in the middle of the night when I'm in bed, asleep, or if something happens in the middle of the day when I'm wide awake and going about life, it's okay because I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven, I'm safe. But all this world and everybody in this culture that says they're safe and they don't have anything to worry about, they're the ones that are going to be called unprepared and they're the ones who are going to experience ruin and they're the ones at risk and they don't know it. Therefore, in verse 11, encourage one another. With this truth. Encourage one another because the truth is life can get hard and people can beat you up and, 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 and you can want to hide sometimes. Now, what's he saying? He's saying there's there's in reality there are two groups of people, those who are ready for the second coming, ready, ready to face Jesus, and those who are not. And, and the outcomes on that day, the destiny on that day for those two groups is dramatically, dramatically different. It, the end of the age is not going to be the same for everyone. Now, listen, God wants the same destiny for everybody. Even though there are two destinies, God wants the same destiny for everyone. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, look here. This is a good and acceptable saying. Now notice what he says, that God desires all men to be what? What church? Saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to know the truth. God wants everyone to be saved. God doesn't want anyone to experience his wrath at the second coming. So yes, there's two groups and two destinies, but God wants everyone to experience the same thing. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise. What promise is he talking about? The second coming. 
But he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to what? Any to perish, but for all to come to. So God wants the same destiny for everyone. And yet there's two groups out there because not everyone comes to the knowledge of truth. Not everyone repents. Not everyone is saved. That's, that's what God wants. And, and if you're listening to me right now and you don't have a relationship with God, God wants a relationship with you. If you're not ready to stand before Jesus, he wants you to be ready. But whether or not you are ready, which group you fall into is determined by the decisions you make. You remember the last two weeks when we talk about destiny? One of the, the, the Bible time and time again has made it clear that, that in a major way, the decisions you and I make in life, what we say yes to and what we say no to, shape our destiny. Well, folks, the decisions you make about Jesus Christ shape your eternal destiny determines which group you're in at the second coming. And the destiny of those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ is described pretty clearly in Scripture. Now, you're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> I want you to look uh, in just a moment at Colossians, but first on the screen a passage from Philippians chapter 3. He said, for many walk of whom I've often told you, and now I'll tell you even weeping. Paul says, I've told you about this in the past, and I'm going to remind you, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to have to tell you this. This reality breaks my heart and makes me weep that they are enemies of the cross. Do you understand there's a lot of people in our culture who like the idea of philosophy and the idea of religion and the idea of love, but they hate the idea of a cross because a cross talks about the reality of sin. Without sin, there was no need for the cross. Without judgment, no need of the cross. The cross points toward the human predicament that in our culture we want to close our eyes to. And, and say there's nothing to worry about. There's, there's no spiritual issues. There's no eternal consequences. Don't worry about it. We're all okay. Unless you're just the worst of the worst, you have nothing to worry about. And Paul says that false, that's, that false teaching makes me weep because of what it's doing to people. Enemies of the cross. Whose end is what? Destruction, ruin, disaster. Whose God, little g, is their appetite? Some Bibles translate it, whose God is their belly. It's the idea of whatever they want. Whatever they want. See, what's popular in our culture is to create a little G in your own image, making your little G, your little God, agree with you on everything so you don't have to change anything. That's a figment of your imagination. That's not God. whose glory is in their shame, the things that they glory in, the things that they, you know, they, they, they brag about, in the end are going to bring shame. Who set their minds on what? Earthly things. 
And by the way, too many of us who follow Jesus Christ give in to the temptation to think that that creature comforts, that earthly things are more important than spiritual things, more important than heavenly things. We get our priorities out of whack. Earthly things. But you see, believers look at life differently. We have a different, not only do we have a different destiny, but we have a different mindset. A different mindset. The The very next verse after those two verses, 18 and 19, look at verse 20. Our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await the coming of Christ. He said, he said, those who are enemies of the cross, those who reject the cross, those who reject the gospel, those who reject the true message of Jesus Christ, this life is it. They're their own gods. They make it all up for whatever suits them. But us believers, our focus is not just this life. We're citizens of heaven. Can I I run the risk of of offending someone just a little bit? Can I run the risk by by saying that some of you who are Christians would be stronger Christians if you love the kingdom of heaven and and your citizenship in heaven more than you love citizenship in America? I'm just saying. Because there are some who get more passionate about things here than things there. We have a different mindset because we have a different destiny. And those old songs about this world's not our home, those who walk in faith say, yes, Jesus, and thank you, Lord, there's more than here and now. Now, here in First Thessalonians, immediately before or in front of First Thessalonians is the book of Colossians. Look at chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Again, he talks about uh, our destiny as believers. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. In other words, the Bible says that when you become a believer, you are crucified with Christ and then raised to walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and then raised from the dead, your old man died with him and was buried, and now you're raised a new person, that you are someone new because you're in Christ. You're born again. You're alive spiritually. You're a new creation in in, in Christ. He said, because of that, therefore, because of this, keep seeking the things where? The things above. Your, your goals in life are, are not limited to earth. We keep seeking the things above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He said in verse 2, set your mind on the things above. Your focus, your attention. Not on the things that are on the earth. Do you, do you see the, the, the contrast between, between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ? Those who follow Christ and those who don't? You see the difference in focus and mindset in these passages? Hmm? Do you, do you get it, church? Do you hear what I'm saying? For if you have died, you died to self and you, you, you died with Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, you get it? 
Jesus is our life. He's the reason we live. When he is revealed, what's that referring to? The second coming, the same thing we looked at in the other passage a moment ago, the day of the Lord, the re revelation of Christ at the second coming. Because you are in Christ, notice this, when he is revealed, then you also will be revealed in glory. In other words, when, when the eastern sky parts and Jesus appears and he's revealed to all eternity and all the universe and every human being that he's King of kings and Lord of lords, when he's revealed and everybody knows it and there's no more debate, there's no more philosophy, there's no more university classes discussing different ideas, it's all settled when he's revealed, you as his child will be revealed with him and there'll be no doubt about who's on his side and who isn't. I don't have time to preach the rest of it, but he goes on in verse 5 saying, Therefore, live like it. Now, you know what's interesting? Is the destiny of both groups, okay? Contrary to what Bernie Sanders thinks. The destiny of both groups is going to be revealed at the same time. Now listen. Second Thessalonians, you're in Colossians. All right. Next book is First Thessalonians. The next book, small book, just three small chapters, Second Thessalonians. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter one. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Verses seven and following. Now, he begins in verse 7 because he's been talking about Christians who are persecuted and the relief that we'll experience at the second coming. So, in the middle of verse 7, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, second coming, in flaming fire, a picture of judgment and purification, dealing out retribution. To whom? To the worst of the worst? No. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. Now let that sink in. And to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he just said? Contrary to Senator Sanders and many people in our culture, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus stand condemned at the second coming. That's exactly what Scripture says. And that's what Christianity has always said because it's always been true. See, truth isn't determined by what's culturally in. Opinions don't form theology. Opinions are just that. Opinions. Verse 9, these, who are these? Those who experience retribution because they don't know God and don't obey the gospel of Jesus. These, in verse 9, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, eternal ruin, eternal disaster away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. Rather than being with Jesus in heaven, they're without Jesus in hell. 
without hope. Jesus in Matthew 25 said on the judgment day, some will be on the left and some will be on the right as he divides humanity into those two groups. And he will say to those on the left, depart from me. Eternal ruin, eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord, he said here in Thessalonians, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me. In another passage, he said, depart from me because I never knew you. It's not the worst of the worst. We're all sinners. It's those who don't obey the gospel, those who don't repent of their sin, those who are not saved, those who don't know Christ, those who don't know God. Scripture says stands condemned. Now it's interesting. He's just talked about the future destiny, the eternal destiny of those who don't know Christ. And then in verse 10 talks about the eternal destiny of those who do know Christ. In verse 10 he says, And when he comes, when Jesus comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Now listen, we just saw a moment ago that when Jesus is revealed to the universe, those of us who are his will be revealed with him. Here he says, on that day, we're going to give him all glory and we're going to marvel at him and it's going to be a spectacular day and it's happening at the same time that here's this other group being told to leave. You have a different destiny. So close, yet so far away. The last soldier, last American soldier killed in World War I, November 11, 1918, Henry Gunther. Do you know that he died one minute before the war ended? Peace had been negotiated. The exact moment that the armistice began, that peace was to start, was known. Word had come to his unit that in one hour fighting would stop and there would be peace. The war was over in, in one hour. And so they were, they were hunkered down and the Germans were hunkered down. And there's, there's controversy to, today as to why he did it. At the time, he was recognized as a hero. Uh, now there's some thought that maybe because he was of German descent and he'd been demoted and, and he was angry and he wanted to prove his loyalty because there were still questions about him and his family's loyalty since they were Germans and we were fighting the Germans. But over here's some Germans with a machine gun. And witnesses say that basically they were kind of shooting up in the air. Everybody was just waiting for that moment to come and the war to be over. But one minute, one minute, one minute, one minute before peace in anger, he fixes his bayonet to his gun and he gets up out of his foxhole and he charges that machine gun. And according to witnesses, the German soldiers are saying in broken English, stop, stop, the war's over, stop. But he keeps charging. And one bullet to his head killed the last American soldier of World War I. So close. And yet so far away. So is the judgment day. 
so close and yet so far away. Over here's the group, glory in Christ, amazement, wonderment, beauty, peace, love, glory. And over here's the group, I never knew you, leave. A different destiny. And I would remind you that the Lord does not wish any to perish, any to be in that group, but he wants all. He wants all to come to repentance. But remember, in life, our destiny is shaped largely by our decisions, right? Huh? So is our eternal destiny. And you either say yes to Christ or you say no to him. There's no in-between. And those of us who've said yes to him spend our time on earth understanding we're citizens of heaven and that shapes how we live and what matters most to us. And we cooperate with God. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing our hymn of invitation. And I'm going to invite you. Now listen. I'm going to invite you if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. If you died this morning you would be in this group over here that would hear Jesus say, depart from me because I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. You never repented of your sin. You were never saved. You're in this group. And Jesus is going to say to you on the judgment day, depart from me. I never knew you. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. If that's you, but you'd rather be over here in this group that on that day experiences the glory and the beauty and the peace. You can change groups. Now, you can't change groups on the judgment day. You can't change groups at the second coming because the pain burst, once they set in, you're going to have the baby you're going to have. You can't change it. If you ever change it, it's going to be now. But making the decision to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Myself and pastors and others will be here at the front and I'm going to ask you to come and repent of your sin and give your life to Christ and, and become part of the, the group that's going to experience glory. I'm asking those of you who are believers and you're citizens of heaven and your destiny is the glory of heaven, I'm asking you to come and get on your knees and pray about the way you're living and ask God to help you live like somebody who's got that glory, who has that destiny. And, and, and maybe some of you need to ask God to help you fix your eyes and your mind and your heart and your priorities and your goals in life more on the things of heaven and the things of God than, than, than they are fixed right now because you've allowed the things of earth to matter more to you than the things of God. And when that happens, you're living more like those on that side, that group, than those in this group. And maybe this morning you need to ask God's forgiveness for that and ask Him to help you fix your eyes where they need to be fixed. I'm asking you to come and join this church if you're not a member and say, hey, I'm, I, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. It's time for you to do more than just come to church. It's time for you to make a commitment, sign on the dotted line and say, I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm committed.